right. Thank you so much. How many of you brought your Bible this morning? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building this morning? And I want to ask you now to join me way back in the book of Judges this morning, chapter 14. The book of Judges, chapter 14. I have an old Schofield Bible. If you have one, that's page number 304. The book of Judges, chapter number 14. Now, if you'll start in Genesis and go over maybe six, seven books, you'll run into the book of Judges, and we're in chapter 14. I want to read some verses here, and then I'll ask you to leave your Bibles open and follow me along. I have three simple things I'd like to say about this text this morning. And then let me remind you of our service this evening at 5.30. I hope you'll be back. 5.05 is prayer room, and then 5.30 for the service, and we're looking forward to having a good time together in God's house again this evening, and we invite you to be a part of what the Lord is doing here. All right, Judges chapter 14, if you're there, would you say amen? All right, let's do this. Let me read you some verses this morning, and then what I want to do is go back and just offer up uh, an explanation of this text this morning. Let's begin with verse number 1. The Bible said, And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I've seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. Let me just stop and say that back in these particular days that the parents had to be a part of the marital agreement. A young man just couldn't go off and find a woman and ask her to marry him, uh, but he had to have the parents involved to work out the, the contractual agreement for the marriage to take place. By the way, I think maybe we ought to go back to the parents being involved in some of the kids and who they get married to. What about y'all? Maybe sometimes the parents could do a better job than the kids are doing. Amen. You're welcome. All right. It's going to get worse, so just hang on. <laughs> Look at verse number 3. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the, uncirc uh, of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. So now we have his mom and dad, and they're kind of protesting his choice a little bit. It's a wise protest, but to me it's a weak protest. I mean, they look at him and say, man, ain't there anybody around here that you'd rather marry than one of those women of, the, of, of Philistia, of the Philistines? So it's a very wise protest because they understand this is not at all God's plan nor God's will for him to do this, but it's a weak protest. I mean, I'd have been throwing cans of chicken noodle soup and jumping up and down, everything else, trying to keep this from happening. So the Bible said in verse 4, But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought, that the Lord sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Then went Samson down, and his father and his mother to Timnath, and came to the vineyards of Timnath, and behold, a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid, and he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. And after a time, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. 
And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother and he gave them and they did eat, but he told not them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Now in verse 8 and also in verse 9, we read a little bit about the honey in the carcass of the lion. And this morning, I want to just briefly speak about this high-priced honey. High-priced honey. Let's pray. Father, would you bless your word and speak to our hearts today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this morning is about a man by the name of Samson. Samson has to be one of the greatest mysteries in all of the Word of God. I say that for this reason. Samson fought the Lord's battles by day, but he broke the Lord's commandments by night. Samson was a man who was strong before men, but Samson was a man who was weak before women. Samson was a man that could conquer the armies of the enemy without, but he could not conquer the passions of his flesh within. He has to be one of the greatest mysteries in all of the Word of God. In our text this morning, we read about an incident that happened in the life of Samson regarding a lion and regarding eating some honey. But I, I think rightly understood, and by the way, we could really talk about the defeat of this lion in this text. The Bible said that this young lion roared against Samson. He picked it up, rent it, he broke it in two as he would have rent a kid, a little baby goat, and he discarded it in the bushes. And sometime later, when he come back through the same area, the Bible tells us that a swarm of bees had moved into the hollowed-out carcass of that lion, and honey was oozing out. Now, we can make much about the defeat of this lion in this text. But in reality, what this text is about is not the defeat of this lion, but the disobedience to the Lord on the behalf of Samson. Samson's life from this point forward is going to spin downwardly out of control down the road to self-destruction and it's all because of what happened in our text. We all know the end result. We all know the end of Samson's life. How he lost his eyes and how he, he was a prisoner of the Philistines. The very people that God had given him power to overcome. He actually became in their dominion in bondage to them. Somebody said Preacher, how did it all start? Where did it all go wrong for Samson? Well, it started in our text this morning. Now, before I get into these verses, I've got to remind you of two things about Samson. Would you tuck these two things away in your memory for just a moment? Because in this message, I'm going to mention both of them a little bit later. First of all, let's all remember that Samson was a judge. He was a judge. Now, you've got to remember where we're at in our Bible. Because Moses and Joshua are now dead. We're not in the book of 1 Samuel yet where Israel's going to get a king, so we're kind of in that in-between period. While the Bible said in the book of Judges that there's no, there's no king in Israel and every man was doing that which was right in, in his own eyes. Can I say that any time that humanity is left to do that which is right in their own sight, the end result is always going to be chaos and confusion. And that is exactly the, uh, the condition of the nation of Israel throughout the book judges. They are in a time of chaos and confusion. They're going constantly into, into bondage to nations that God has given them the power to overcome. Well, during this particular time, when the nation of Israel would repent and get right with God, God would raise up a leader. 
Now, in the book of Judges, he's called a judge. God would raise up somebody who would lead the nation out to battle the opposing armies. God would give them the victory because of the leadership of the judge. And, of course, we know later on they'd go right back into bondage again. Now, there are 13 of these judges mentioned in the book of Judges, and without doubt, Samson has to be the most popular, the most famous, the most familiar of all the judges. Most of us in here, if not all of us, have heard the story of Samson and Delilah. Now, in our day, when we think about a judge, we think about a guy with a black robe on, with a gavel in his hand, saying guilty or innocent. But in Bible days, a judge was a leader. Tuck that away in your mind. He was a judge. Number two, remember this. Samson was a Nazarite. Now, he wasn't a Nazarene. Jesus was a Nazarene. If you were from the country or the area of Nazareth, they called you a Nazarene. Samson's not a Nazarene. He's a Nazarite. Now, let me tell you what a Nazarite was. A Nazarite was an individual in the land of Israel that had taken a vow of separation unto God. I mean, he was wholly and totally dedicated to to the Lord. Now let me tell you something about Samson. Because of his vow of separation, or because he was a Nazarite, let me say this about him. Uh, when you saw him, you just knew there was something different about him. I mean, when you looked at Samson, you didn't have to wonder, you know, where's this boy stand? You knew there was something different about Samson. I say that on the basis of three things. Number one, Samson could never cut his hair. So he no doubt had very, very long hair. I mean, his hair had been growing since the time that he came into the world, and, uh, and his hair no doubt was very long. And by the way, that wasn't a sign of being cool or being hip. No, sir, that was a sign of reproach. That was a sign of his Nazarite vow. So can I say it like this? His number one, his appearance. His appearance was different. Number two, because he was a Nazarite, he could never eat anything that came from the fruit of the vine. I'm talking about grape. Now, let me say it like this. Samson could never eat grape jelly on his peanut butter sandwiches. And can I stop and say, that's really sacrificing for Jesus right there. If Samson came to our services and we were having communion, Samson could eat the cracker, but he could not drink the juice. You know why? He could not have anything to do with anything that came from the fruit of the vine. Samson couldn't eat raisin bran cereal. You know why? It's got raisins in it. By the way, you have to be crazy to eat raisin bran anyway. Don't have no sugar in it whatsoever. Give me Fruit Loops and Apple Jacks and Captain Crunch any day over raisin bran. Samson could not eat anything that came from the fruit of the vine. So let me say this. Not only was his appearance different, but his appetite. His appetite was different. And then number three, because he was a Nazarite, he could never ever touch anything that was dead. If Samson's little old dog got run over on a, the road outside of his house by a speeding chariot, Samson couldn't bury his dog. He'd have to call his neighbor over there to bury his dog because Samson could never ever touch anything uh, that was dead. He could not come near a dead carcass, as sad as this may sound. But if his mama and daddy died, Samson couldn't be anywhere near that. He he couldn't touch them. He couldn't kiss their brow or kiss them on the cheek or rub their hand one more time. You know why? He could not touch a dead carcass. So not only was his appearance different, not only was his appetite different, but his actions were different as well. Now let me just stop and say this while we're right here. You say, preacher, what's all that got to do with us? Can I say, number one, if we're people of God, and we are, our appearance ought to be different. 
I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit sick up to here with hearing people talk about it's all about the inside and nothing about the outside. Now, I agree with that. A relationship with God is foremost and, 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 and a priority in our life. We all should have Jesus on the inside. But just let me say it like this, friend. When Jesus moves on the inside, it'll make a difference in the way you look on the outside. Amen. Your appearance, your, your look will be different. Amen. His appearance, our appearance ought to be different. What about this? Our appetite ought to be different. We ought not to want to feast on the carnal things of this world that we're living in. We ought to have an appetite for the things of God. We ought to have an inward desire, a hunger for holy things and not worldly things. Let me just say, there's something wrong with somebody who says they're saved, but all they have a desire for is the things of the world. Our appearance ought to be different. Our, our, our appetite ought to be different. And can I say it like this? Our actions ought to be different. I mean, we're God's people. And we ought, hey, look, we ought not to be interested in blending in with this world. You know, it seems like in our day, you can get mad at me if you want to, but in our day, it seems like churches in our day are more interested in blending in anymore with the world than they are standing out from among the world. Jesus didn't call us to blend in with the world. In fact, Jesus said, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. There ought to be a difference. When you walk into this place, the music ought to be different. Our accents ought to be different. Hey, our dress ought to be different when we come to the house of God. You know why? I'll tell you why. We're God's people, and there ought to be a difference. You ought to notice that when you walk into this place. There's something different about those people. Amen. We ought to stand out like a sore thumb in this society. I'm not talking about with a terrible attitude and a terrible disposition like we're holier and better than everybody else. It ain't about that, friend. But I tell you, I want to be sweet about it. I want to have a great spirit about it. But I want to be different. I want to, be st I want to stick out in this society. Hey, I want to be a round peg trying to be stuck into a square hole when it comes to the things of the world. You know why? I'm a child of God, and I ought to be different. Amen. Yes, sir. Not trying to blend in. God forbid that we ever try to blend in with the world at Woodland Baptist Church. Can I tell you something? The church that is doing the most for the world is the church that is most unlike the world. Hey, you can have your rock music concerts. You can have your dim lights and your fog lights and your strobe lights. You can have all that garbage if that's what you want. But brother, I tell you, I like it the old time way. Hey, I got in that way. I got in under Holy Ghost conviction and the fire of God and old old-fashioned worship and old-fashioned singing and friend if it ain't broke don't fix it head man preacher it was different he was different he was a Nazarite he was a judge he was a Nazarite number one he was a yeah y'all are in shock evidently number one he was a judge he was a judge wasn't he number two he was a he was a Nazarite there was something different about it now come with me to our text this morning. Because what we have here in this text is the beginning of the downfall of Samson. From here on out, his life is going to spin out of control. From here on out, he's on the road to self-destruction. Somebody say, preacher, how did it all start? It all started in our text. Let me show it to you. First of all, 
look number one, look at verse number five, and here's what the Bible said. Number one, Samson was in a wrong place. Samson was in a wrong place. You say, what do you mean? Well, look at verse 5. Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the... What's the next word? Now, wait a minute. If you're a Nazarite and you can't have anything to do with the fruit of the vine whatsoever, then pray tell, tell me, why are you in a vineyard? I mean, man, why put yourself in a place like that if God has forbidden you from having anything to do with that stuff, why in the world are you going to put yourself in a place where it's at? His whole life, this whole text starts off with Samson being in a wrong place. Can I just stop and say there's still some wrong places? For God's people. I know it's the 21st century. And I know we don't hear much about separation in churches anymore. But I'm just here to tell you this morning. There's still some places that God's people just ought not go. There's still some vineyards we ought to stay out of. There's still some places we got no business showing up at as the people of God. Listen, hear me and hear me well. The, 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 the world and the flesh and the devil exerts a strong enough pull on us when we're in the right place. I consider the church to be a right place. What about you? Thank God for the church. But even when I'm in church, I feel the pull of the world, the pull of the devil, the pull of the flesh, and I'm in a right place. Why in the world am I going to put myself in a place, in a wrong place, where that same pull can have a greater influence in my life when I get myself in a wrong place? It's still, hey, listen, look at me, friend. It's still wrong for God's people to go to certain places. I know you don't hear it much anymore, but God's called us to be different. God's called us to, to not be of the world. God saved us out of the world. We ought not to frequent the country music concerts and the rock music concerts. Man, we ought to stay out of those places and the hell holes like this one used to be up the street. We got no business going to places like that. We're God's people. We ought to stay out of the vineyard. We got no business being in the vineyard. Can I stop and tell you this? What this vineyard was to Samson, the far country was to the prodigal. What this vineyard was to Samson, uh, Tarshish was to Jonah. What this vineyard was to Samson, Moab was to Elimelech. What this vineyard was to Samson, Egypt was to Abraham. What this vineyard was to Samson, uh, Sodom was to Lot. Listen, friend, stay out of the vineyard. Stay out of place. The Bible says to abstain from all appearance of evil. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.11 to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them. Sounds like to me God says stay out of the vineyard. You've been called to be different. Don't hang around the vineyard. He was in the wrong place. And if you'll notice in our text when he got in the wrong place he met the wrong person. Look what the Bible said in verse 5. While it was right there in the vineyards, the Bible said that a young lion roared against him. Look at me. You never meet the right people in the wrong places. If I were you and I were hunting a wife as a boy, as a man, and you was hunting a wife, 
I wouldn't go over here to the strip where old Riley's auto parts are and find me one throwed up on the hood of a car with a belly shirt on, hollering at the boys riding up. That's not a good place to find your wife. Amen, preacher. Hey, let me say to you young ladies, don't you find your husband down there at the tattoo parlor. That's not a good place for you to find a husband. What I'd do is I'd get right with God. I'd get close to Jesus. I'd pray for God's anointing and God's leading. And I'd find the man or the woman that God intended for me to marry. Because hear me, and hear me well, you're not going to find them in the nightclub. You're not going to find them at the beer joint. You're not going to find them in the hellhole. That's not the right place, uh, the, 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 the right place to meet the right kind of people. That's the vineyard. Stay out of the vineyard because you never meet the right people in the wrong place. A young lion roared against him. Now help me with this. Put your New Testament glasses on for just a minute. Y'all help me with this one now. First Peter 5, 8. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary the devil as. Now, let's look at this now. So when he got in the wrong place, he met the wrong person. And the Word of God said this young lion roared against Samson. Now when it's called a young lion, we're, we're told we're led to understand that this is not an old line. This is not a line that's lost all of its teeth, that's lost its appetite. But we're told that this young line, by being told, the Holy Spirit says, and it's careful to say it's a young line, it's fast, it's ferocious, it's furious, and it's got but one desire for Samson. You know what that is? Samson's his next meal. Samson's going down. Samson's going to be his next feast. He wants to destroy Samson. And I'm here to tell you, there's still an adversary in this world, the devil, and he's wanting to bring us down. And if we get it in the wrong place, we become an easy Pray for the adversary. A wrong place. A wrong place. And by the way, do you notice in our text how good God is? Because even when he was in a wrong place, God rescued him and got him out of the wrong place at least one time. Notice what the Bible said in verse number 6. This line roared against him. Notice in verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Aren't you glad we serve a God of mercy and grace? I mean, we may allow ourselves to get in the wrong place. Many of you, many of you sitting right here can stand up and testify how that you used to be bad to drink or whatever, maybe smoke drugs or whatever, and you was in a crack house one night or you was in a beer joint one night and, and you had just left when a fight broke out and three or four people got killed. You just left when somebody pulled out a gun and started shooting. Aren't you so glad that God is a God of mercy and a God of grace? And God, even when we get ourselves in a wrong place, God in His mercy and grace will lift us out and take care of us at least one time. Number one, He was in a wrong place. Number two, look at this. Not only is there a wrong place, please listen to me. Be mad at me if you want to, but I love you enough to tell you there's some places you ought not go. There's some places that your life will get messed up. There's some places you're going to meet the wrong kind of people. Listen, they're going to destroy your life. Stay off the road to self-destruction. Keep yourself in the right place. Wrong place. Number two, a worldly priority. Notice what happened in our text. The Bible said that the Spirit of God came on old Samson, picked up that line and rent him as he rent a kid. But he told not his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down, verse 7, talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. But now notice in verse 8, And after a time, he returned to take her. And he turned aside 
to see the carcass of the lion. He's right back in that same vineyard again. You'd think he would have learned his lesson, don't you? I mean, you'd kind of think old Samson would have understood, man, I need to stay out of the vineyard. I'm going to lose my life if I go back in there. Good night, no telling what's going to happen to me next time. Instead of one, it might be two. I've got to stay out of the vineyard. But he didn't learn his lesson. So he goes right back through that vineyard again, and the Word of God said it wasn't long till he turned aside to see the carcass, the discarded carcass of this dead lion. Now you've got to understand that in that part of the world, in that very arid, heat, uh, hot, dry environment, you can just imagine how the, the, uh, the animals descended on the carcass of that lion and picked the flesh off of it. So now we've got a hollowed-out carcass of the lion, and, and during the meantime, a swarm of bees has reached into the carcass, uh, moved into the carcass of the lion, and they've created a nest, and honey is oozing out of the carcass of the lion. Now, I'm staying with our text now, but the Bible said that Samson is there. He pulls the bushes back, sees all that, that honey oozing out. Now he's faced with a choice. And his choice is, is he going to eat some of that honey, or is he not going to eat it? Now, with Samson, the, ch the question was not to be or not to be. With Samson, the question was to eat or not to eat. Now, there's nothing wrong with honey. Honey's good. Many of you stir honey in your oatmeal and, or you put honey in your whatever. Honey's good. The problem is not with the honey. The problem is where the honey's at. The honey's in the carcass. Let me magnify this. The honey's in the dead carcass of the lion. And if Samson reaches into that carcass of that lion and gets that honey, he's going to defile his Nazarite vow because he can't touch anything that's dead. So he's standing there. And I can see him. I mean, he's a strapping boy. And he's hungry and that honey. Can't you just see the devil jump right here on his shoulder and say, man, smell that honey. Boy, don't you know if it smells that good, it's going to taste even better. Isn't it amazing how the devil can make something so wrong look so good? He's not only a master of disaster, he's a master of deception and a master of, dis of uh, disguise. He can take something that is so wrong and make it look so right. There's some man in this room this morning, the devil's trying to convince you that it's all right for you to step out and become unfaithful to your wife. He's trying to make you believe it's okay. Maybe there's a lady in here and the devil's trying to convince you. He is a master at getting people, to, getting us to look at things that are so wrong for us as being so right for us. And here stands old Samson. I can see the devil going. Samson going. And the devil said, boy, I bet it's good. In fact, I tell you this, Samson, your life would be so much better. Can you imagine how much better you'd feel if you had a taste of that honey? Can't you just hear all that and them lies of the devil going on in Samson's ear? Hey, Samson, have some honey, man. It'll make you feel better. It'll make you happy. Honey, honey, will make you happy. That's probably what he's telling you. Boy, how many people in this room have went down that same road and the devil said, hey, that'll make you happy. That'll bring you joy. That'll bring you fulfillment. But can I tell you something? John 8, 44, he's a liar and the father of all lies. What he says will make you happy will bring you misery. What he says will make you happy will bring you agony. What he says will make you happy will hurt you 
When God says, thou shalt not, God is saying, hey, that'll hurt you. Please don't do it. When God says, thou shalt, God is saying, that'll make you happy. Help yourself to it. We got a God that loves us, and a devil is trying to destroy us. Who you going to follow? Amen. To, to eat or not to eat. And, and by the actions of Sam, what did he do? Well, look at what you say, preacher, how did he handle it? Look at verse 8. He took thereof in his hands and went on eating. Now, he knew this was wrong. He knew, God said, don't touch the carcass of a dead lion. Stay out of the vineyard. He knew it. But he reached inside and got it. You know what his attitude was? Will you come up close? Let me tell you something. You know what his attitude was? His attitude was this. I'm not going to let some old-fashioned Bible commandment keep me from having a little fun. Am I right? I mean, is that, that's his attitude. You say, well, I don't read that in the text. Well, from his actions, you see his attitude. How many of God's people have the same attitude? I'm not going to let some old-fashioned book written 2,000 years ago keep me while I'm passing through in this, in this walk of life, in my short life. I'm not going to let some old-fashioned Bible commandment keep me from having a little bit of fun. Well, go ahead and eat your cake today. But I want to tell you something. You're going to have a crummy tomorrow. We need to listen to what God said. We need to get back to the book, friend. We need to listen to the Word of God. Hey, I'm here to tell you, we still need to refuse the evil and choose the good. There's a great verse in Isaiah 7, 14, and it's an Old Testament prophecy about the Lord Jesus. And the Bible said that He shall be born of a virgin, call His name Emmanuel. You know the verse. And then right at the end of that verse it says this, And He shall know to refuse the evil and to choose the good. We need to get back to the place of God's people where we say no to the evil and choose and welcome that which is good. So what did he do? I'll tell you what he did. Man, he just reached inside and got him some honey. No old-fashioned Bible commandment's going to keep me from having a little fun. And then at the end of his life, we see what that honey cost him. Boy, that's high-priced honey. Boy, it cost him a lot. So we see this, and I'm done. We got to go. We see a a wrong place. We see a worldly priority. You've got to have it now. You know, the devil come to Jesus. Uh, stay with me. Humor me for just a minute. But the devil come to Jesus one time, took him up on a, the, uh, on a high mountain, so the Bible said, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give it all to you. Jesus looked at him and he said this, in essence, nope. I'll just wait because God's going to give it to me later on. And in the book of the Revelation, you and I read these words, and the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and His Christ. The devil tried to give it to him early. Jesus said, no, God's going to give me something better later on. Amen. Worldly priority. Last of all, watch this. There's a wasted potential. He wasted it. He wasted it. Back in chapter 13, if you'll just read these verses, especially those right at the end, Samson understood. What is that verse there? Uh, let me see. Uh, there's a verse in this chapter, somewhere in chapter 13, that says that Samson understood. Anyway, can I tell you this? Samson knew that God had his hand on him. Samson knew. You know, when I was growing up, they used to sing this old song, and I can't remember all the words, something like I was born... 
in his likeness created in his image. For I was born to serve the Lord. How many of y'all remember that? They sing it all the time when I was growing up. Samson knew that he was born to serve the Lord. But can I tell you something? With one action, he threw all that away. With this, just one handful of honey, he gave all that up. Because can I tell you, and I'm done, what happened at the end of this life? You remember how he laid his head in the lap of Delilah? She gave him a haircut he never would get over. Remember the story? Yeah, he got messed up with Delilah. And he laid his head down. She called the barbers in. They shaved his hair off. Samson hunted the Philistines be upon him. He got up and shook himself as he had a time. went out to fight with the Philistines. And the Bible said this time he was just like any other man. Isn't it sad when a man of God becomes just like any other man? How pitiful. A man that God has put his power on. A man that God has anointed. A man that God has stamped his approval on. And then that man throws it all away with a handful of honey. And he becomes just like any other man. Stay with me now. So here's the end result of the story. Old Samson is there. They've taken him. They've arrest, arrested him. They've shaved his hair off. He's bald-headed. He's standing there. He, they've, they've reached behind. They've gouged his eyes out. He's a judge. The Bible said they take him out. They bring him out in the Colosseum. And they're having this big old worship and praise service for Dagon. They're worshiping and praising Dagon, which was a fish god with a fish face and the hands of a man. And they're out there jamming for the, uh, the uh, Dagon and raising the roof to Dagon. And man, they're all having a worship and contemporary praise service to Dagon. Somebody said, hey, go get Samson. Bring him out here. They bring him out. The Bible said he's standing there blinded. I mean, he was a judge. They used to fear him. He was a judge. He had the power of God on his life. He had the touch of God on his life. And now the Bible said that they stand in that Colosseum. They're laughing at him. The judge has become a joke. I wonder how many people sit in this room and people used to get you to come pray. When something happened in their life, they called you and said, hey, can you pray for me? They didn't want your religion, but they knew you knew God. They knew there was something different about you. They could just tell that about you. So when the babies got sick or the bills come due or they're about to lose their home, they called you. You know why? They, they had confidence in you. They knew you knew God. You was a judge. But now you drink the same old liquor they drink, tell the same old filthy jokes they tell, run to the same old worldly hell holes they run to, and they've lost their confidence. And behind your back, they laugh at you now. You know why? Judges become jokes. But can I close the message on a positive and an encouraging note? Because aren't you glad we serve a God can take a, that can take a judge that became a joke and make a judge out of him again? Because the Bible said in that story, while they're laughing, praising Dagon, lifting him up, having a great contemporary service, while they're doing all that, Samson's down there with hot tears coursing out of what used to be his eyes. And he says, that little lad says, There's a, is there something around here I can rest my hand on? And he puts his hand on that pillow and on that pillow. And then old Samson hadn't prayed in a while, but he begins to pray. And he said this, Judges 16, 25, Oh, Lord, remember me. And about that time on the other side, God leaned over the ballast of glory and said, Son, I've never forgot you. I'm so glad to hear you call out to me again. Son, what can I do for you? And Samson said, Oh God, one more time. 
Oh, God, send the power. Oh, Lord, send the power just now. Oh, Lord, send the power. Oh, God, give me the power one more time. And the Bible said the Spirit of God one final time came mightily upon Samson and he leaned with all his might upon the pillars of that house. And the first thing you know, that crowd that was worshiping and praising and laughing, a look of fear came on their face like it used to be when Samson was around. And the Bible said the whole Colosseum come crashing down. And he killed more Philistines in his death than he did in his life. And somebody said, Woo, hallelujah, wait a minute. Come here. What could have happened if he'd have stayed out of the vineyard? How many more could he have took out of the world if he'd have stayed out of the vineyard? How many more times could he have delivered God's people if he didn't have to have the honey? How many more times would the power of God come on his life? But he self-destructed over one high-priced handful of honey. Remember this and remember it well, but all choices have children. You can go ahead and make your choices, thumb your nose at me, laugh, call me old-fashioned, say I'm outdated. Man, that preaching has gone out with the last century, preacher. Don't try to tell us to stay away from play. You can do all that if you want to, but I'm here to tell you, your choice will have a child some of these days. Good choices have good children. Bad choices have bad children. You can blow me off, thumb your nose at me. I don't want to listen to that, preacher. Don't tell me that. You can do all that if you want to. But I love you enough that when you come over here, I want to tell you the truth. One bad choice, one handful of honey can haunt you for the rest of your life and ruin the potential that God has for you. Can I have an amen? In God's name, stay out of the vineyard. Stay away from it. Amen. I love you. God bless you. Let's pray.